0: Good morning. Welcome to LifePoint. Well, 31 weeks ago, we started this series called The Story. And if you're here for the first time, don't feel like, man, it's like I got late to a movie or something. It's, it's not like that at all. All of these 31 messages have been uh, wrapped around this theme. We started at the beginning of the Bible, and today we're at the end of the Bible, which means today is the end of time. So I hope you're ready, okay? Over the last 31 weeks, we've learned a lot about God, If you've missed out on any of those, they're all available on our website. We have sold over 1,000 of the story Bibles, which are just... All the story Bible is, it pulls out the core stories of Scripture and arranges them chronologically to help us understand God's story and His pursuit for the hearts of people, His pursuit for your heart. And here we are at the end, getting to see what God's big plan for our futures is. When I was younger, uh, probably I called it junior high, you call it middle school, uh, I broke my arm. And I had this cast. This was back in the days of plaster casts. Remember those? Anybody? Show your age. Uh, It wasn't the cool fiberglass stuff. It was plaster, and it was up to here, and my arm was like this. And I was a really active child, Uh, ran around a lot, and I got tired of the eight weeks I had because I broke it pretty bad, and I had to have that on for eight weeks And about three weeks in, I was like, it feels all right. It doesn't hurt. And so one day at school, I picked up some scissors and a ruler, of all things, and I got that thing off. I cut it off because I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm finished. Now, then I had to go to the doctor, and he explained you could also lose your arm by doing that. So I didn't didn't try that again. But I got tired. I was like, when's this going to end? Some of you kids, some of you teenagers, you're like, who's celebrating? School's out for some of you. It's almost out for the rest of you, right? You excited? And um, that's it. That's all the excitement that you have for school being out. (laughs) Come on, that's the parents sucking all the energy out of the room, right? (laughs) If you're in year-round school, sorry, you get breaks. But but for, for traditional calendar, school's out. And some people are out of school for goodness, like finally that part of my life or this year, this difficult time is over. We can all relate to having something going on in life and thinking, when is this going to end? When am I going to get past this? Maybe you're in a bad work environment and you're thinking, okay, this has to be over soon. Or you're in a bad relationship and and you're hoping it will end, but not really wanting it to and, and, and just wanting to get past the difficult time. Well, today's story really focuses on a group of people who were really wanting their current situation to end and in God's word when we start to read about what he has to say to them brought them hope for this great future and an understanding that what you see now is not what you're always going to see what you experience and feel now is not the way it's always going to be but sooner or later it's going to be better and you're going to be past it you're going to be out of school. You're going to have the cast off your arm, the relationship pain, the physical pain, the, the work pain, the financial struggle. All that will be done. And God is speaking to a group of people who are enduring something much greater than all that. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. Ushers will give you one. It's yours to keep. You can follow along in there. Also, uh, you can follow along on the screen as well. So as we close out this last chapter in the story, uh, where we are is the, the church, God's chosen people, all the people who have trusted in the grace and forgiveness of Christ that we just sang about, they've been scattered. The Roman government is starting to feel more and more threatened by the church and more and more opposed to hearing about it, more and more opposed to allowing people to freely and openly worship God. And all of Jesus' followers that you read about, especially those leaders, the apostles that you read about, all of them except for one has been murdered, martyred, killed, sacrificed. And there's one guy left, and that guy's name is John. And John's life's not going very well either. He's, he's been put on this island in exile because of, of the threat of death. And while he's all alone while he is experiencing a time that no doubt he would love to see over quickly, God gives John a glimpse. A glimpse into what's coming next. A glimpse into heaven. And John starts to write these things down that God tells him to write. And he does it with language that, that's full of metaphors. That's, that's full of... of His best attempt to use human language to explain what God has in store for those of us who are waiting, for those of us who follow Christ. And he writes what we know today as the book of Revelation, the book that, you know, you just kind of don't read it because you don't really understand, like, I don't get it, so I'll just stop at the one before. You know, 65 books is enough, I can leave the 66 one off, and I I won't read it. But it's the youngest book in the entire Bible. It's the one written the closest to today. It was written right at the end of the first century. And he opens this book, speaking in the third person, explaining what people are getting ready to hear. Now remember, as he writes these words, he's thinking of not people sitting in Raleigh, North Carolina, 2,000 years later. He's thinking of all the people that he knows are being persecuted because of their faith. And he says these words This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen. To its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. That's how this letter begins that's written to people who follow Christ who are going through some very difficult times that I'm sure they were thinking, when's this going to end? How's this going to play out? Because the Roman government at that time, they were killing people just because they followed Christ. They were not just killing them, they were feeding them to lions. So, So kids had to watch their parents be fed to lions or burned at the stake and their bodies be hung on stakes and burned to light the way to the city. Parents had to watch their kids be beaten and murdered all because of their faith. And it's in the middle of all of that fear, all of that pain that John writes these words and what he's saying to them, it's not going to be this way forever. Things will change. And those may be words that you need to hear today. It's not going to be this way forever. Whatever you're going through, it's not going to be that way forever. And just think about this. To a people being persecuted with the threat of death, if these words can bring them comfort, then whatever you're going through, allow the words I share today to bring you comfort and wrap your mind around, if you, don't, if you don't get anything else out of what I say, is that God wants you to know that whatever you're going through right now, it's not the end. It's not forever. That he has a promise for each of us. And so John starts to write, and he really writes around two major themes. The first thing that he writes about is the end of time that all this is going to come to an end. So if you're taking notes, write this down. God wants me to know the end is coming. And what he's talking about is the return of Christ. Jesus was on earth. Jesus left the earth to go into heaven. We become part of his family by entering the church, which is the body of Christ on earth. But there's going to be a day that it's all going to end. Justice will be served. The evil will be punished. The good will be rewarded, and all that we experience now will end. Even science, if you're a scientist, you're, first of all, much smarter than I am, but you know that there's some really fancy words to describe how all matter is kind of winding down. The sun is not as bright as it used to be. It's little teeny tiny changes, But things are getting not more organized, but more disorganized, kind of like my garage. I don't understand it. I can clean my garage for all day long. And a week later, it's like, what? did I not just spend eight hours cleaning this thing? Can you relate to that? It just naturally gets disorganized. One of my girls asked me one day, what do you do out there? Because it always looks messy. And I was like, look, you are really on thin ice because you are the one that helps get it the way it looks that I have to clean it. So the universe is is becoming like that. It's more and more disorganized. It's clear, even from a scientific perspective, that things are winding down. And John wants us to know that this world will end. I mean, if you're in your 20s, you don't get this, but if you're like late 30s, 40s, you, you get that your body's winding down. You got that? I mean, you, I don't care how much you take care of it. It doesn't matter how, how great of diet you have, how much you exercise. This thing is winding down. Now, you can do some things to make it last a little bit longer, but ultimately, we're fighting a losing battle, right? I promise the message gets much more encouraging than this. It gets better. That, did, that just sounded real discouraging, but It's true. It's winding down. And John's trying to help us understand the world you live in is winding down. And then he starts to write about it. And it's really hard to understand some of the things that he says because they're highly symbolic. He uses a bunch of metaphors and he tries to use earthly words, human words, to describe this this supernatural event that's going to happen. And so it gets really confusing sometimes, and that creates a lot of misunderstandings. And to people who don't follow Christ, if you're just kind of checking out church and just starting to come to church and listen and enjoy and taking a step closer and closer, some of this stuff sounds really weird that he talks about. And there's a lot of misunderstanding in the church. Theologically, there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of different beliefs about what's going to happen. So John is saying the end of time is coming. And people, since John wrote that, have been saying, here's when it is. So it's not new for people to say, hey, the end of time is coming. In 1000 AD, Pope Sylvester said the end of time is coming. 1658, Christopher Columbus said, this is the year the world is going to end. A mathematician in 1688 named John Napper said, I have figured out and calculated this is when the world will end. And you remember that guy Harold Camping? He died recently, but he predicted 12 times from 1978 until he died. He died last year, but in 2011 was the last time he said the world was going to end, and it didn't end. And so he was interviewed, and he's like 80-some years old, and he's predicted, predicted, predicted. And in the interview, he actually said these words, well, we know that at some point in the future, the world will end. It's like, we already know that. The Jehovah Witnesses predicted in 1878, 1881, 1908, 1914, 1916, 1924, 1925, 1941, 1975, and 1984, that the church was going to end. I mean, that the world was going to end. And they got it wrong every single time. In 1999, the great theologian Prince suggested to us. <laughs> now I know who's over 40. Thank you. Are you with me that the world was going to end and it didn't. So with all these people saying when the world's going to end, here's what Jesus said. It's really good to go with what Jesus believes when you're confused about something. Let's go with what we know. And here's what Jesus said, Matthew 24 verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. There's a lot of interpretations about when the world will end and Jesus sets it clear right here. Nobody knows. So the purpose of John's book is not to use it to predict the end. The purpose of his book was to give hope in the moment for those following Christ who needed to know God really does care. He really does understand that you're going through a difficult time. And so John uses a lot of... A lot of flowery language to describe it and a lot of symbols. Because imagine, he can't just call out the Roman government and then send out this letter and expect it to be distributed, expect Rome not to even come down harder on the church. So he has to say things like, the beast. He talks about this beast, this one world government. And every generation says, this is the one. So when John was writing that down, he must have been thinking about America 2,000 years later. That must be the beast. Or this one world European government. That's what he must have been thinking about and said, hey, let me give you all some hope by telling you that in 2,000 years, uh, this beast is going to show up and there's going to be this one world government. What kind of hope does that bring to people who are being burned at the stake? Zero. The beast was Rome. It was something they could look at. He couldn't call it Rome, but that's what the beast was that he talks about. Then he talks about this antichrist, this person that will rise up that will be against Christ, that will persecute the church. And every generation has said, this is him. If you'd lived in the 1800s, people would have said this evil little man named Napoleon is the Antichrist, and a lot of people wrote about that. World War II, Antichrist was who? Hitler. Hitler. And then the Cold War, if you grew up, uh, the years that I grew up and when the Cold War was a reality, and this guy comes on the, theme, on the scene that's got this mark on his forehead, Like this birthmark. Turns out it was just a birthmark. (laughs) Gorbachev wasn't the beast. You can just Google today uh, the Antichrist. You can just Google today who's the Antichrist. Don't answer me, but there's a lot of people who would pick a political leader or some other leader and say, that's the one. Some of what John says was to be applied then, And some of what he says was to be applied in the future. Now, what applies when? Well, I know some of it, but I don't know all of it. So when I don't know something, here's the best place to start with what I do know. So you can read the book of Revelation, get really confused. You can watch somebody on TV, read a book, get really scared and be looking for a beast or an antichrist behind every door and in every leader. Or let's stick with what we know. Here's what we know. At the end of this book, Jesus wins. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on his team. Since Jesus wins in the end and good wins out, I'm just going to go ahead and get on that side. So however he chooses to wind the whole thing down and blow it up, I'm going to be with him. So if you just do that, you don't have to worry about all that stuff and who is this and what's that. Just get with Jesus because humans are 100%. Every time, 100%, we've been wrong on predicting when the world's going to end. So 100% failure rate for us, 0% failure rate for Jesus. Whose team you want to be on? Jesus' team. I will make a prediction. I will tell you what I think about the end of time. We are closer now than we've ever been. And if you say that tomorrow, that'll be more true than what I said today. So John talks about the end of time. That's one of the big themes in his book. And don't get all wrapped up in all the symbolism and understand that he wrote that to bring hope to people who were being persecuted. Not with the understanding that they're thinking thousands of years in the future. They're thinking, I need some comfort now because my family just got dragged off and put into prison. Then John also talks about not just the end of time. He talks about what comes after the end of time what this whole book called Revelation is really about, and that's heaven. Heaven is about God wanting to be with me forever, and at the beginning of this story, when we read Genesis chapter 1, you see God creating people. Why? Because He wants to spend time with them, because He wants to know us. He wants to be with us, and that's what heaven is all about and john tells us what looks what heaven looks like through human eyes and it's really hard for us to understand it's really hard for us to get okay the city he talks about the city coming out of the clouds he talks about a crystal sea he talks about golden streets he talks about the the gates he talks about uh, rubies and pearls and, and all these precious stones and he uses that to describe heaven and it's really hard to wrap our minds around it's kind of like trying to tell your teenager what it was like not to have social media smartphones and the internet I mean they don't understand that I've tried it they what did you do like what did you do all day well we like talked to each other face it was really cool <laughs> us trying to understand what heaven is all about is like that because we've never experienced it and if you're not a believer yet, this, th- this is a part that, that might be like, okay, that, that sounds a little far-fetched. It sounds far-fetched to me sometimes, too. Like, there's this other place that we're going to go after we... Di- I mean, sometimes I have a really hard time wrapping my mind and heart around that. But here's what John says in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Here's something we got to know about heaven. Heaven is a place of the new and improved. Things will be better. So however you see that, when when you read John's writing, heaven is going to be better. Think about how much of our lives are spent looking for something better. Better relationship, better job, better car, better house, better living environment. I just want better. And John is saying, hey, in the end, you follow Christ, it's all going to be better. Everything's going to be brand new. Everything's going to be perfect. The grass is always going to be cut. The shrubs are always going to be trimmed. The car's always going to be full of gas. There's always going to be money in the bank. It's going to be this perfect place, this place that you can't even imagine. Everything's made new other biblical writers chose to focus on the fact that we'll have different bodies. That we'll still, you'll, the, you'll have consciousness, you'll still know you're you, but you'll be in something else. And I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> Won't that be cool? I mean, I hope we can request, because I would request like the guy that plays Thor, I would request that body. <laughs> Say, give me that one. And then, honey, uh, if you're in here, this serves I will probably go shirtless because if I get that body, there'll be no lust, no jealousy in heaven, and I'll just walk around in that body all the time. <laughs> so whatever kind of bodies we'll have, they'll be different. We don't know what they are, but it's, it's not going to be this one because this one wears out. Even if you fix it up, it still wears out. And John is trying to physically describe a place that nobody has ever seen before. And he tries to explain it like, like, think about what is the happiest time you've ever experienced in life, ever. The most joy you've ever felt. The, the, the perfect whatever that's ever aligned just right in your life and you feel like, oh, it couldn't get much better than this. This, is, this, is, this feels like heaven. This is great. I can remember falling in love with my wife and all other girls just fading away and everything focused on her. I can remember our first child being born and and looking at her going, what are we going to do with this? And and just and just feeling love like I'd never felt. The second child who who almost died and when the doctor came out of the intensive care part and said, y- y- "She's going to be okay. The baby's fine." Just feeling like, "God, you've shown up today and I'm feeling a little bit of heaven on earth." And you probably have experiences in life where you think it could not get much better than this think about that experience. Everybody's got one. And when you think about that, this is how good it is. Just think, this this is how much, this is your experience. This is as good as it gets on earth. I mean, some people live here. Some people live up here. Some people get to fill the whole thing up. And this is your experience. But then God has something else in store. This is much different. This is much more, much greater It's not just one or two little things. It's an eternity. Watch out. Here it comes. It's an an eternity of God saying, you're going to love this. You're going to experience joy like you've never experienced before. You're not going to experience pain. Everything's going to be the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. And it goes on and on and on forever. This is what we experience now. That's what we experience And have not rolling it up. That wasn't supposed to happen. But it's God saying, think of your greatest joy on earth, and it's going to be even greater. You can't even imagine it. The Apostle Paul said it like this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. The greatest moments in life are just this. And God's are so, so much greater what he has prepared for us. So God started this story preparing this beautiful place for people called the Garden of Eden. But we, people, messed it up because of our inclination to disobey God. But in heaven, God's going to restore all of that. And John talks about it in Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All the things, all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Think of this from God's perspective, especially if you're a parent. When God gets to say, finally, I get to be with my kids. Finally, I get to hang out with my creation. Heaven's not just for us, it's for God. And he's now restoring his original plan. And that is to be with people for eternity. And John is trying to get these people who are going through a difficult time to understand ultimately this life is going to bring pain. It's not going to be perfect. Don't fall too much in love with this life because not only is it short, but bad things happen. We live in a broken world. We can't create a perfect world, but God has, and John is trying to explain to them and to us, this is what God has in mind for every single person. So see all of this as temporary, all the bad stuff we experience. When you you wrap your mind around that, wrap your mind around heaven and what God has prepared for us, and if we can just get a little bit of it, it will change the way you live. It'll change the way you see this world. In the book, Mere Christianity, one of the first books I read when I started following Christ, blew my mind, changed my life. One of the quotes from C.S. Lewis is this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world are the ones that thought the most of the next. They all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And that's what John is trying to say. Let me give you a perspective. You're looking here and you're just seeing the pain or the misunderstanding or the difficult times you have to go through here or just experiencing the joy you go through here. He sa- John is saying, expand that. Look up. Look bigger. Live for heaven in this world and you end up getting a lot of heaven in this world. Live for this world and you'll get a lot of hell in this world. That's what he's trying to explain to these people who are going through a difficult time. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Living for heaven changes my today. Heaven's not just something out there somewhere that sounds like a fairy tale. It changes today. Anybody get preoccupied really easy? Oh man, when I'm, when I'm like writing or something and I've got social media on the side and, and somebody puts like, you know, the top 10 states with cotton, I don't know, something like that, you know, and I, I'll click on it and then it goes to this other page to tell the truth. You do the same thing. And then it's got like celebrities with the worst teeth, celebrities with the worst plastic surgery, uh, the states uh, with the most, you know, uh, unpaved roads, stuff like that. And you just start clicking on lists. Am I the only one that does that? This church, tell the truth. I mean, we all do that. And like an hour goes by, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been so preoccupied. Well, it's, that's not good. It's good to get preoccupied with heaven. It's really good to have your head in the clouds when it comes to thinking about heaven because you may be going through something every day where you say, you ask the question, when is this going to end? Let the promise of heaven give you the hope that it will. And understand that my best life is not this life. It's the next one. Now, a lot of people have questions about heaven. Like, what will it be like? What will we do there? Do, you know, do, are we going to have pets in heaven? I've had that question so many times. I don't know. I, don't, I, I doubt spiders and snakes and things like that will be there. Seriously. Uh, but, but maybe pets. I don't know. The Bible never says that. Pets bring a lot of joy on earth, so maybe they will bring a lot of joy in heaven. I don't know. What are we going to do all the time? Because I hear heaven explained like a big church service and it's been an hour and I want to go. It's like, (laughs) is it just church for eternities? That's it? We're just going to sit in church. Somebody's going to preach. Somebody's going to sing and we're going to watch videos. Is that it? It's got to be better than that. There's not a lot of description in the Bible about what will we do. But the one thing that's really clear that we will be doing in our new bodies, in our Thor-shaped bodies in heaven... The one thing that we know we're going to get to do is celebrate. Just think of an eternal party. That's what it's going to be like. I don't know, like, do you work? Do you have a job? Do you earn? I don't know how it works. But what I do know is we are going to be so in awe, those of us who follow Christ, that we are going to be blown away and we won't be able to do anything but celebrate the fact that whatever was is over and whatever is next is for eternity. And all the stuff we had to deal with on earth has wound down, ended, and done. And here's how John describes it in Revelation chapter 4. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw the throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. That would have meant a lot to the people who read this for the first time. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning on on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. And in the center and all around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was, had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, Holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. That's a picture of some of the things that will be going on in heaven.